Hello, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping family businesses thrive. My name is Ross Hayworth, and each week I will share insights and experiences to help you to navigate the complexities that can come from being in business with your family. You will also hear directly from family businesses who have been kind enough to share their own stories. As ever, I am grateful for the support of my good friends over at the Institute for Family Business. The IFB support family businesses in overcoming their challenges and help them build lasting legacies, something that we have a shared passion for. You can find out more about their work by heading over to ifb.org.uk. Right, let's get on with this week's show. Well, hello and welcome to um, today's episode of the Family Business Podcast. Um, For those that have listened to the episode that I released yesterday, I mentioned towards the end of that, that looking after our mental health during this time um, is essential. And I mentioned an episode that I recorded with um, a chap called Martin Stepek, uh, who is a mindfulness teacher. And I'm delighted that um, Martin has uh, reached out and um, suggested we record an episode on Uh, mindfulness and how it can help in the current situation so uh, Martin welcome back to the show thanks Ross Um, obviously it's under um, some pretty challenging um, circumstances but um, I think what's really important uh, during this time is um, to look for ways to to be able to cope with it Um, and um, I know that you've written a piece for uh, your own website you do mindfulness teaching now and it's a, a a poignant piece for uh, the current time. Uh, I think the best way to start today's show is just to um, to allow you to read that, and then we'll go from there and, and uh, see what crops up, if that's okay. Okay, thanks very much, Russ. And for those who haven't heard the episode that Russ and I did um, some time ago, um, I run the Scottish Family Business Association, and I've had my lifetime in family business as well as being a mindfulness teacher. So it's quite an unusual and unique perspective that hopefully I can give people. So I called this um, You, Me, and How to Live Well During the Coronavirus Crisis. Things have moved fast. A week or two ago, most people considered the coronavirus as a problem for China. People stuck on cruise ships, Italy, and the very vulnerable in those countries. Now we're all being advised to stay at home, work from home, with all the various income, social, business and mental health issues that such drastic changes can bring. So what can we do about this practically? Here are some thoughts that I hope might help you. One, we need to get it in perspective. The situation is uncertain, but so is every day, even in normal times. This is a mindfulness perspective on life. People get run over by a bus every day. Individuals have heart attacks, are diagnosed with cancer. People we love die. None of this is knowable in advance, but we tend not to get worried about it because it's normal. Coronavirus is not normal, therefore it's much more visible in our lives and our minds, and therefore we magnify the problem in our head. Try to reflect regularly as a mindfulness practice that all of life is inherently uncertain and unpredictable and that this crisis is just one more example of that. 
In other words, although everything seems to have changed, nothing major really has. Life is still as impermanent. Good things still happen, bad things still happen. Two, we don't know science, brackets, unless you really do. So don't discuss things as if we do know the science. Our automatic mind has an unhelpful tendency to always have an opinion about everything and anything. So when the government and their scientists announce another measure to combat coronavirus, our mind throws up instant, utterly non-evidence-based views about it. Generally speaking, we know little or nothing about viruses, how they function, how they thrive, and how they die off or become dormant in us as a species. There are world expert scientists working on this for our benefit. Trust them, because we don't have anyone better to trust than people who have dedicated decades of their life specifically for this purpose. Three, some of us, maybe all of us, are politically biased and therefore dismiss some politicians' views on coronavirus. Don't. They have the signs behind them and we don't. Four, the news channels and social media exist to draw us to them. That's their purpose. It's important to know certain things about the coronavirus crisis. These are how to minimize the likelihood of you getting it. Read that and do it. Listen properly to each update from the UK and in my case, Scottish government. Do what they say. Don't dismiss it as overreaction. They have the signs and we don't. If you're family abroad, do keep up to date with the situation there, but don't worry about it. Just ensure your family know the latest updates on what to do and not to do. Otherwise, schedule when you will watch the news. No more than twice a day, preferably once. It's not a soap opera, so don't get drawn into it as a story. People will die. Famous people will get the virus. Some people will be stuck abroad, and so on. All of these are engrossing stories, but they all stoke fear and worry. Don't read these stories. They don't help you. They don't give you new insights. They just drain your energy, and they gobble up your precious time on corrosive junk. Instead, draw up a list of what you can do. What is positive and nurturing? What is healthy and uplifting? Practice mindfulness daily, especially when you get concerned or out of kilter. Read good books. Listen to music that makes you happy. Go for walks, that's allowed. And love the world of nature. By the way, coronavirus is part of nature, so don't blame it. It's just living its way as we are living our way. Make a schedule to keep in touch via Skype, Messenger, WhatsApp or wherever with those you love and your friends. Maybe a weekly catch up with each of them at a specific time if you can't go see them. Five, this is about you. It's also about the harm you can do to others. Don't skimp on what the government and scientists advise us to do. You don't even actually know if you have an underlying condition that makes you vulnerable to this virus. Logically, medical conditions arise in people 
before they're diagnosed. So don't assume that you're safe. That doesn't mean worry about it. Just treat your body with the respect and seriousness you would do for those you love most. Also, just because you might be safe even if you get the virus, you may pass it on to others if you don't follow best advice, and they might not be safe. So be considerate and caring for others by following the advice of government and their experts. Treat your hand washing, self-isolation, etc. as mindfulness practices of kindness to others and self-care. Make hand washing a practice, almost a ritual, done slowly and lovingly because you're doing it for the benefit of others. This, in Buddhist speak, is called bodhicitta, the wish or the aim to benefit yourself so that you benefit others in turn. You're making your body as clean and pure as possible in order not to harm others. It's a kind of vow, a vow not to harm others. That's a beautiful thing. You can feel all of that when you wash your hands mindfully. Finally, keep practicing mindfulness so that you remain in control of your automatic mind. It's at times like these that the automatic mind rears up and takes over. So take a step back from that seeming madness and your own reaction and see it coolly, calmly, lovingly as just a temporary problem in life, a life that has ups and downs. The sun still shines, you're still alive, you have millions of things to be grateful for, and we are part of something incredible called existence, life itself. Remember that and keep continuing to enjoy it moment by moment. Keep well. Thank you, um, Martin. Um, obviously, we are living in a time at, at the moment where it's perhaps a lot more challenging for people to control their emotions. Um, there is lots of fear. Um, as you say, social media is now full of, instead of Brexit experts, it's now experts on virology and um, science and, and um, what have you. And so it can be really um, overwhelming for people in this situation, particularly if they're using social media as a break from having to run a business and mm -hmm. all the stresses and strains that that brings with it, um, particularly at the moment. So it, what I'd like to, to do if we can is just mm -hmm. to, um, you mentioned the importance of practicing mindfulness and mm -hmm. gratitude. Um, would it be okay to, to spend some time sort of um, explaining to people how you go about doing that? Because it is an exercise. It is something that takes practice. It's not something that you can just, oh, I'm going to sit down and do this now. So I think if we can run through some uh, of that process as well to give people sort of the, the, that practical. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll explain what mindfulness is and I'll do a wee mini version of it, even 30 seconds for a, for a minute. So mindfulness is based on the premise and lest anybody who's sceptical or cynical, and it's a good thing to be sceptical, it's not a good thing to be cynical, um, but if you're sceptical, you should Google Oxford University in mindfulness or Harvard in mindfulness and you start seeing the level of the world-leading psychologists and neuroscientists and doctors 
who have done the research on how mindfulness helps and how the brain works. And in essence, it's saying we have two very different parts of the brain which have almost polar opposite functions. The amygdala, which is the part of the brain that a lot of people know about, fight or flight, it's the automatic mind, if you like. It produces your gut feeling of fear, that knot in your stomach, when you start saying, oh my God, how am I going to pay my staff when nobody's coming into the restaurant anymore? Things like that. And it's an automatic, ancient, reactive part of the brain. So something happens, boom, you react. Anger, fear, worry, concern, hatred, whatever. So that's the amygdala. And it tends to run our lives if we're not careful because we just go with our reactions. But there's another part of the brain, there's two parts in connection, the prefrontal cortex and the neocortex, and they're to do, and it's more recently evolved part of the brain, and they're to do with calmly, coolly observing a situation, not getting caught up in reaction and thinking, okay, this is the reality of where we are, let's look at the whole picture, what can we do about it? So it's a much wiser, if you like, response to a situation than the amygdala. The problem is that it's not as well developed in us, typically, as the amygdala, because the amygdala starts from the moment we're conceived and is born. And so it becomes, if you think of it like going to the gym, it's been going to the gym since you were born, and it's been developing its muscles strongly. That's why people get anger management problems. That's why some people you know, are dismissive or, or submissive or whatever. This other part of the brain tends to get pushed out of the way by this big muscly reactive part. But we can deliberately build this up and the science shows that we can actually grow that part of the brain deliberately as well as nurture it as the way we manage ourselves, if you like. So anyone currently going through, as I've been through in the past, you know, a business failing or staring that in the face just now, then the fear is the automatic thing. But the best way is to take a step back, look at the whole picture calmly and coolly and say, okay, let's see what we can do. Then you get creative, then you get persuasive, then you get thinking. So that's essentially the science behind it. The practice is very strange because what you're trying to do is you're trying to build up the skill of noticing first of all, because if you can notice that you're overreacting to a situation or if you're kind of out of kilter mentally, then you can do something about it. But if you just get swept up by an emotion, you can't do anything about it because it's already dragged you to the emotions and your fears and your reactions. So part of mindfulness is learning the skill of noticing. And that's why it's called being mindful. It's noticing what's going on in the present moment. So when something's good's going on, you enjoy it all the more because you're aware of it. When something not good's going on, you can see it and then you've got a chance to change it. So for example, if you can imagine going back, it seems like years ago now, but back to Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was, everything started being told, just don't go out anywhere, clamp down. And we're in sort of semi-official lockdown just now. And you're thinking, oh my God, my business, I'm just going to go down. You know, the business is going to go down within weeks. I don't have the cash flow to do this. No income's coming in. And fear and maybe anger and frustration and confusion all arise at the same time in you. 
What mindfulness says is you can learn to take a step back literally at that moment. You see that, you see that it's not helpful. Those emotions are not going to help. They're just getting in the way of you thinking clearly. So you take a step back. You allow that, those emotions to fall away by taking your attention somewhere else. Usually the breath, which sounds maybe a bit weird if you've never done this before, but an in-breath feels nice and clear and fresh and an out-breath feels nice and quiet and peaceful. Now those are two nice sensations and whatever you feel the brain tends to go towards as well. So if you breathe in and it's nice and clear, your brain starts to feel a bit clearer. If you breathe out and it's nice and peaceful, your brain starts to become quieter. So that you now actually got a competing and better set of mindsets than the one that you originally had when you reacted in the first place. So we'll do a wee practice of that just now, if you don't mind, Russ. Please. So literally, this is, this is something I do probably between six and ten times a day. And it only lasts, well, I've been doing this for 20 odd years, so um, I only usually do it for about 30 seconds of, you know, an in-breath and an out-breath or two at the most. And I do it normally in response to, say somebody sends you an email and it's disappointing or annoying. I notice the annoyance, which is the negative, the unhelpful part, and I move automatically into this to get rid of the annoyance so I can think more clearly rather than write back a, an angry reply. So I just literally change my position just slightly as follows. I sit with my feet flat on the floor, hip width apart. Small in my back, goes against the back of the chair. My back feels nice and upright, so it's a little bit stretched. So I feel alert, but relaxed. One hand, top of the other, thumbs touching, placed in my lap. I dip down my head a little, and I gently close my eyes. And then I start to notice my breath. And breathing in, does, I mean, I've done this tens of thousands of times, but it still feels clear and fresh. Flowing in and breathing out feels quiet and peaceful. And what I do is I slow down the breath to about half the pace. That way you notice it much more strikingly. The clarity and the freshness of the in-breath and the quiet peacefulness of the out-breath. And when I'm doing that, literally at my first breath, I think, I can feel the clear, fresh air, and it's blowing away my annoyance, my anger, my frustration. And then as I breathe out, I think, that's me back to a peaceful, clear state. Now let me deal with this constructively. And then I take 10, 15 seconds just to gently open my eyes. And that's it. Now, I noticed you were doing that as a practice thrust when I was doing that. If people are listening to that and doing it, you probably notice a difference in you already. Now, this is just, that was probably about 30, 40, 50 seconds. Mm. You know, and, and I'd slowed it down to explain it while I was doing it. But you can just take the edge off of your automatic gut feel, which is almost always unhelpful. And taking the edge off it gives you mental space. And mental space enables you to put into place the, the other array of intelligent aspects a human being's got. Thoughtfulness, consideration, seeing the bigger picture, 
remembering to bring in so-and-so to discuss their view about this because they're going to be affected. And you deal with things effectively in a calm, considered, seemingly slow way, even though there's an urgency to what you've got to get done. But it's a much more effective way of dealing with an issue. And it also has the cumulative effect of making you clearer and calmer as a person in the long run. And the evidence on evidence in this is, is quite astonishing. Clearer, calmer, more compassionate, more concentrated, so less likely to get caught up in the, the social media crazy ideas about, about coronavirus and, and, and just allowing your mind just to get drifting away so you mm. get back to focus. But focus in a pleasant, enjoyable way rather than a kind of tight, taut way. So that, that's essentially what mindfulness is. Mm. There's a, a million varieties of variations of that. I've got two or three um, free ones on YouTube if people want to, a one-minute one, a two-minute one, and a full-length one that I did for actually the prison service here in Scotland for staff and prisoners. And it's done as a live one-take recording um, in a country park because the prisoners wanted to see nature because they never see nature. Wow. I've done this in, in every prison in Scotland, so, or virtually, bar one, I think. Mm. Um, so that's how mindfulness works. And Google it, go onto YouTube and just type in mindfulness practices, and you'll start, you get Oxford University. So Mark Williams, professor emeritus of, Ox, of psychology at Oxford, he's, he does a series of these practices. So you're getting like Einstein guiding you in physics, you know, in your mm. own house. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, that's all there for people. So that way you can quickly learn. I've written half a dozen or so books about it that people can look up as well. And I think, um, as you said, I um, although this is for a podcast, we're recording this via Zoom so we, we can um, see each other. Mm -hmm. And um, I I did the mindfulness um, practice while Martin was, was talking through it. And those that have done so while listening along will I'm sure agree that my shoulders started to feel more relaxed. I could kind of feel the um, tension that, that is present at the moment sort of drifting away. And um, you mentioned you do the practice uh, 10 or so times a day. And I think it's important to highlight that this isn't something that you do once and, you know, right, everything's, fine you need it's called practice for a reason um, yeah. you, you need to keep coming back to it and um, appreciating the the benefits and I heard a saying I don't know the specifics of it but someone said if you haven't got time to do 10 minutes mindfulness a day you need to do an hour or something along yeah, those yeah. lines um, given again the environment within which we're operating at the moment with fear with um, the situation changing so rapidly. Now like you say we had a budget just over a week ago that started to mention what would happen. Um, we've since had various measures brought in uh, off the back of that, all, all designed to help support and, and guide people through that. But when our minds are full of fear and they're racing, uh, from what I understood from the sort of neuroscience of that, that's effectively a recipe for making bad decisions. Yeah, I mean, there was a, an interview, I can't remember who with, but it's one of the world's leading neuroscientists. And I go to the same kind of half a dozen experts 
um, to keep up to date with mindfulness and neuroscience and psychology, you know, and have done for 20 years. And so these are the leaders in their field. And one of them said something along the lines of, your automatic mind never produces anything helpful. Mm. I mean, it says literally never. Now, that was in a, a kind of informal interview setting. So he might have been exaggerating for effect, but it's a good starting point. Mm -hmm. um, the great, you know, so there's, there's the scientists on mindfulness, but there's also the people who came from the original Buddhist and Zen traditions. And the great one of those who's still alive, who is very, very old and ill now, is Thich Nhat Hanh. And he has a practice where he says, he calls it, am I sure? That any time your mind produces something, don't just buy into it, stop and say, am I sure about that? So if you're about to say, maybe you're in a, a sort of cynical frame of mind, you know, because of what's been happening, and somebody says, well, the government says, you know, two metres apart, you know, you keep social isolation, and, and you say, it's all, it's all a lot of rubbish, you know? Or, you know, they exaggerate, you know, it's not that bad. Now, that's what the mind does. The mind automatically does that. But that's a classic example of where did that come from, you know? And that is when we should be using that technique, that practice, mindfulness practice, that Thich Nhat Hanh says is, ask yourself, am I sure? And if you, as soon as you ask that, you're almost asking the wiser prefrontal cortex part to come into the discussion, the inner discussion, and it will very quickly say, you know nothing about virology. How on earth <laughs> you ever have a thought like that? And you can let it go. And this stops rows. It stops you passing on sort of completely you know, non-evidence-based um, views or opinions. And it just helps continually. I mean, Gandhi, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but Gandhi was once asked um, when he was actually visiting England in the 1930s why he seemed to hesitate so much when he was speaking, you know, if he was a poor public speaker. Now, Gandhi had been a lawyer, you know, before he became a social activist, so he was so used to it. And he said, um, he was asked, you know, are you shy or are you sort of got social issues? You know? And Gandhi says, no. <laughs> But I have to check every time my mind produces something to say, whether it's worth saying or not. So I always stop. Wow. And if it's not the right thing to say, I have to wait for my mind to produce something else. And you know, it was such a fabulous insight about how to truly manage the mind for the benefit of everyone, including yourself, mm -hmm. rather than do what we almost all do all the time, which is just churn out whatever the brain produces. Mm. And it is nearly always, even if it's not nearly always useless, there's almost always a better thing waiting to get pop out of your brain if yeah. you just stop. And it's funny, you mentioned the cynicism and skepticism that is out there at the moment for every word that's coming out of everybody else's mouth, mm. yet we implicitly trust everything we say as being fact rather than actually yeah. treat, treating it with the same kind of uh, level of uh, cynicism. Yeah, there's actually a book, you know, I'm, I'm rereading this for about the 10th time. It's, it's a very Buddhist Zen book, so don't, mm. uh, unless you want to go into the depths of that, don't bother buying it, but, but it's an amazing book. And one of the things... And what's He's, it called, sorry, Martin, the book? Right? 
what's the book called? Uh, um, opening, opening the hand of thought. That's right. Only you I've seen the video. <laughs> yeah. The hand of thought. It's by a Japanese Zen priest who sadly now died called Kosho Uchiyama, which is U C H I Y A M A, and he's. My books are just scribbled on all the time, everywhere. But he talks about the human brain. We should think of our thoughts as the equivalent of secretions, just like phlegm or, you know, just like going to the toilet. You know, mm -hmm. it's just stuff that comes out of a body. And he says, and this is amazingly insightful, is that we are accidents you know and if you take go back human beings as a species are accidents of evolution each of us is then a separate accident of a chain of cause and effect of our parents or maybe not our parents falling in love making love and being conceived now if that had happened the next day it wouldn't be us that was being born because it'd be different sperm and eggs you know and then where you could brought up if your parents had moved to the next town, you would be a different you. So is this series of causes and effects that are almost always accidental happening to us, shaping who we are, and our thoughts are just the result of all of those things. So our results, our thoughts are there for kind of chance events too. You know, so if you'd been born in a different town, you'd have a different opinion about this conversation just now. In fact, if you'd been born in a different town, there's a fair chance we would never be having this conversation. Yeah. So the reason I, may, I emphasize that is that it's saying, don't trust what just happens to have turned up by chance. You know, if you had, if you're looking for a van driver in your business and a guy happens to turn up and says, I can drive a van, you don't say, well, that's great, we need a van driver. There's, there's the keys. Mm. Well, wait, it could be somebody wanting to steal your van. It could be somebody that didn't even have passed their driving license test. <laughs> you, know, you check things. And that's what mindfulness is really all about. And that's what that book basically spends 200 pages really going into depth about is yeah. you need to check this stuff out because if you just follow whatever chance happens to have thrown into your mind at that time, all sorts of things go wrong. Mm. This is why people get divorced. This is why people get into rows. This is why friends stop speaking to each other. This is why family businesses have so many issues that they have to face all the time because they just let stuff churn out. Mm. And we can be as a species much, much better than that. Yeah. And all it takes is pausing, breathing in, breathing out, getting calmer, letting that one go, something better and always trying to be constructive mm. always trying to be inclusive yeah um we were speaking a little bit off air um be before we hit record today on uh the opportunity for human ingenuity at the current um moment and again i think taking some um breaths and pausing and understanding your thoughts um at this time it is enabling that ingenuity to to have some space to yeah. allow businesses to um, potentially adapt to to put into um, place different elements of how to work or how to appeal to to customers so that um, 
you know, the, the thought process is just so much clearer than letting yeah. fear take over. And if you take it from <clears throat> that perspective, you're essentially going from instinctive reactive to considered proactive. And you're going from panic mode and fear mode to logical and constructive mode. Mm -hmm. And you need to be learn how to flick that switch. And that's what it's like. I mean, at a non-business level, my parents died coming up for eight years ago now and three weeks apart. So it was a, a really tricky, very difficult time. And I learned something I didn't know I could do um, in the aftermath of that, which is I could turn grief to gratitude. One is an automatic negative that drowns you you know, if it goes wrong. And, but it's the flip side of being grateful that you were lucky enough to know these people for so long. And you can change it, and it can change within 10 seconds. And one drowns you and one lifts you. And it's the exact same in a business setting. I mean, all we ever have, literally, when it boils down to it, is our thoughts. You know, if you want to run a business successfully, Everything comes from your mind. If you make mistakes with your mind, then that harms the business. If you are wise and insightful and imaginative and creative with your mind, then good things can happen to the business. Now, some things like just now, like with the coronavirus crisis, feels like a tsunami hitting you. But actually, we can still think, how do we do this? We've got a government that nobody knows how is saying we've got billions and billions, hundreds of billions of pounds, don't worry. We've got the Bank of England saying, don't sack anybody, don't lay them off, speak to us. And you're thinking, this is where the brain overthinks, you know, your sort of reactive brain is thinking, you're kidding me on, there's going to be 500,000 business owners phoning you over the next 24 hours. You know, where does this money come from? Who, how are you going to assess Who's getting it? Who's not getting it? The forms will take 20 years to fill in and then somebody will be assessing it and you're saying it'll be ready by Monday. Mm. Now, all of that is an understandable reaction to very strange news, and something that we've never experienced in our lifetimes. But this is what our government are saying is going to happen. So you've got a choice. You can either go with your reactive mind and think, oh, bloody hell, what a crap, and not do anything. Or you can take them at their word and say, hello, I have this issue. I'm going to run out of cash by Thursday. You know, I'm going to have to lay people off. You say, phone us, that you're going to help us. I've now laid the problem. Can you help? One gives you a chance. The other one gives you no chance. Now, it might be that the person on the phone says, I'm really, really, well, they probably wouldn't say it this way, but this is probably what they're thinking is, hey, I just got this job six hours ago. <laughs> you know, I've been told <coughs> how to speak to you, you know, in a way that hopefully calms you down and say, don't worry, everything will be fine. But right now we're still sorting it out. We take your details and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. But please, please, please don't take any reactionary decisions just now. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Now, that's still better than you taking those negative decisions. Yeah. And we just don't know 
the inner mechanism of how on earth you're going to distribute 350 billion pounds, you know, in the space of days yeah. you know, to, to people. But we have to trust the system. Mm. And the, the, the point of the coronavirus being what we all hope is a very short-term temporary blip is creating problems for those people in government that they've never had to deal with before either. They may have planned for it. They may have the contingency in theory. But as soon as theory hits the real world, there are things that, that wouldn't have cropped up. And again, it's very um, easy to take a view that well, my politics don't necessarily agree with uh, the current whoever's making that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, I don't trust that. But, but this is a, it's an entirely unique situation. It's a non-partisan issue. It's not, you know, it's not targeting a particular group. It's not being selective in how it, um, how it does things. And therefore, the, the measures that need to be taken um, will take a couple of days to... And, and actually, if you think about it, saying we've got 350 billion and we need four days to work out how we're going to get it out there is pr- pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know where to start. Mm. I'd, I'd put it all in a crate in the middle of a <laughs> in the middle of the town and just <laughs> yeah. But, but but it's you know we we have to to balance the urgency that people are feeling around their own businesses and the fear, and it is really scary and um, nobody's really immune to that side of it either, as well as being susceptible to the virus. Nobody's immune to the fear, but it's about managing that through mindfulness it's about managing it through um keeping your thoughts remaining positive and that's not to diminish what might be going on within your own businesses and um within the world but there's a a fantastic um i think it's a fable i'm not um, particularly great on on english on whether that's the right word or not about the um chinese farmer um Mm -hmm. that we have spoken about in the past i just wondered whether it would be an opportune moment to, um, to yeah, tell our audience what, what that is. Yeah, so the story goes that there's two neighbouring farmers in China in ancient times, and they're both pretty poor, so they're just subsistence farmers. One's got a horse, and he's an old man, he's a wise old man, um, as there always is wise old men in these stories. And one day his horse runs away, and the neighbour comes and commiserates with him and says, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, that's such an important part, you know, of your existence as a, as a farm, as a business. And the old man says, who knows what's good or bad in this world? And then the next day the horse comes back and there's two more horses follow it. And the neighbour comes and says, well, that was a lucky turnout, you know. You've now got three horses. That's a fortune in those days. You know? And the old man says, Who knows what's good or bad in this world? You can't predict the consequences. Then, a few days later, the old man's son is trying to break in. The horses tame them, and one of the horses reacts, rears up, and lands its hoofs on the guy's shin and breaks his leg. And so the son has to go in bed and whatever, in 500 BC, the version they had for yeah. uh, plaster, apart, plaster on you. Um, so he's laid up in bed and the neighbour comes and says, well, that's your main helper in the farm, you know, a shame. And uh, the old man says, who knows what's good or bad in this world, you can't predict. 
And then a few weeks later, the general for the emperor's um, army comes in uh, to, to the village and they start rounding off, rounding up all the adults, adult males um, of a certain age to press gang them into joining for an armed, an armed campaign against a neighbouring country or to put down a rebellion somewhere. And everybody's crying because their children have been taken away and um, they think there's not much chance of their children coming back alive. And so the neighbour comes and goes to the, the old man to tell him about this and the son's still there lying in bed because he's got a broken leg. And the neighbour says, well, how lucky you are. We've all lost our, our children, you know. Um, and the old man says, who knows what's good or bad in this world? Mm. That's just what it ends. You know, that, that fable, that story could go on a million times over. Yeah. But you don't know what's good or bad in this world. That brings me to the picture behind me, is it? You can't, which you obviously won't, people won't see. But it's, I normally have that down for webinars or, or video things because it's a distraction. Mm -hmm. It's a collage of 25 photographs or documents that pertain to my um, Polish ancestry. And in the middle, in the top two rows, is a photograph of my grandmother. She grew up in a really wealthy family business. Um, in Poland, she had personal servants as a child. She was punted down the river Vistula um, so that they could um, fish for lobsters with the servants punting them. <laughs> um, and she died of starvation at the age of 39. Boom. Who knows what's good or bad in this world? My aunt Danka was 15. They were taken to a labour camp, but hence the death. And my Danka was 15, she weighed three stone 12. You think, no way anybody's going to have a life after that. Well, she died in December, age 92, in Scotland, having been a successful entrepreneur. And her big brother was my dad, and he was about 20 years old, five stone. He had malaria, typhus, dysentery twice. Um, he had lost his mum, he'd lost his dad, he'd lost his country, he'd lost everything that he dreamed of came to this country and it was one of the top 500 Scottish business owners. And you don't know what's good or bad in this world. No. You just can't tell. This, we were talking earlier, in the, you know, before we hit record, um, this ingenuity thing again is some people will suffer because of this. And that's inevitable in life. Some people will actually, this will make them because they will have an idea based on necessity because everyone's at home and that can grow to be a billion pound company in, in five, 10, 15 years time. And mm. the thing is nobody can know in advance. That's the old wise man saying, you know, who knows what's good or bad. Don't treat it as good or bad, just mm. treat it. And this is classic Zen, classic mindfulness. It's the present moment that matters. We can continually project and worry ahead. But right now, what can we do? Mindfulness says, do what you can just now with a clear, calm, imaginative, creative mind, which everyone has, and you'll make the most of the situation as best you can. And then it's down to fate and chance. You can't control everything. And sometimes, no matter how brilliant you are, 
like we had in our family business, a great family business, great successful, boom, but it went into administration in 2002 because of a set of chance events that happened at the same time. Now, other people can be lousy in business, but the timing and luck is there and they're successful. And that's not to be sniffy about other people's success or excuse their own lack of success. That's truth. We don't know what the future holds. So don't get too wrapped up about what might go wrong now. Just work diligently, calmly, and as compassionately as you can about the situation now. And take it, yeah, you have to plan ahead, you have to think ahead, you have to think cash flow and things like that. But the primary duty is to think clearly now, about now, because the next moment will come along, and then the next moment, then the next moment. And if you keep doing that, it's like the old adage, take care of the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves. You take care of now, and your life will take care of itself. Fantastic. And I think that's a really um, positive note to, to end on. And um, it, it can seem quite difficult being positive at the moment because it, you, you need or people uh, may feel that uh, it, the situation's not being taken seriously. But the positivity, we, we, we can do so much more with that than with fear um, and I yeah. think that's what we should um, try and focus on is yeah. the positivity, ingenuity, clearness of mind, clearness of thought um, and I'm sure um, what we've spoken about today will be of a huge benefit to people so thank you very much. Thanks, can I just add one last point? Please. Um, knowing my own mind and having watched it hundreds of thousands of times over the last two decades, what will happen to some of the listeners just now, is they'll buy into this, think this is, yeah, that's really interesting, that's good, and they'll do it. And then, sooner or later, their automatic mind will just rear up and take them over and say, ah, that mindfulness stuff doesn't work, I've got, I've got this problem, I've got that problem. And the, your own mind is effectively dismissing the thing that can help you most. When that happens, and when anything negative in your mind happens, try and remember and maybe even write a wee thing to put in your desk or in the car or whatever of just saying, remember to be mindful or notice the breath. So that in that moment of despair, frustration, dismissal, you have got a trigger that says, no, take a mental step back. Notice that slow breath going in. You can do it now. And then notice that calm, quiet breath going back out. And all of a sudden, you're gone from that frantic mind to a space where you can now think afresh about it. Mm. If you do that often enough, this will see you through this stuff. Yeah, completely agree. Um, where can people find out more about you, Martin? Um, www.martinstepic.com we also have our, our business product side in terms of mindfulness at 10 for zen so t-e-n-f-o-r-z-e-n.co.uk. And if you Google my name, you'll, you'll find me. It's not like John Smith. It's <laughs> kind of a unique name, Martin Stepik. That's S-T-E-P-E-K. And it's, it'll all be there. You'll yeah. find me. 
Fantastic. And thank you once again for suggesting we record it. I think it's a brilliant idea. I'm sure it'll be a huge benefit to people. So uh, thank you for your time. No, it's my pleasure. And I wish everybody well. Um, keep, keep the spirits up. Yeah. Thank you. I hope you found this episode useful. If you have, then why not share it with your family and see what they think? I work with families just like yours to help them to better understand the complexities that can come with being a family in business. So whether you're just starting out or heading into the umpteenth generation, if you feel that I could help, check out fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and get in touch. Until next time, take care.